Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, we're going to be covering Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 29 this morning. And, uh, but I'm going to be covering some other verses prior to that, so I'll have you going through your Bibles uh, quite a bit this morning, if that's okay. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your salvation that's given so freely to anyone who calls upon your name. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to focus on the ministry that you've given each one of us to be your disciples and to go out and make believers, Lord, of all nations, that we might teach them the truth and encourage them in all of your ways. I thank you, Father, that you have given us so much information concerning your soon coming. And I pray, Lord, as we look into some of those verses this morning, it would encourage us and help us to walk steadfast in all of your ways. I ask for your anointing, Lord, and that you would give me the words to speak. They'd not be my own, but yours. And use me, Father, to minister to these, your people, your precious people, I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. You know, uh, I just wanted to share a couple announcements. It's so hard to put my glasses on. I've got hearing aids, and then I put on top of the hearing aids the microphone, and then on top of that I've got to put my glasses, and they sit up. Sorry. <laughs> no, I can't get them down over my ears. Okay. Um, do you guys know why I have hearing aids? What's that? <laughs> anyway... Um, we're going to be starting a new study on Wednesday nights. We're going to be doing a study in Colossians. And on the welcome desk out in the, in the hall, in the foyer, uh, we have the new outlines. And uh, make sure you pick up one. And I'm going to send it to Chuck, and he also will have it on our website so you can print it off if you want. Now, as you know, we've been having our Wednesday night Bible study every other week. So we had it this past Wednesday. And this, this Tuesday is a women's Bible study. Then we'll have our study the next Wednesday. We're trying to uh, separate it so you don't have the women's Bible study and the Wednesday Bible study on the same week. Okay? And um, also, um, our adult dinner for tomorrow night is canceled. And it's canceled for only one reason, lack of interest. No. Uh, just joking. There was, there was one person that signed up. But anyway, um, we usually have a, a good group for that. But Vi and I were talking, and we were thinking it's kind of defeating the whole purpose of what our adult dinner night out was. And so what we're planning on doing, see, you can, if you go out, you can only have four at a table. And we usually have, you know, 15 to 20-some people. And so what we're going to do for our next adult night dinner, uh, we're going to find someone to organize it. If you're willing to, just see me and put it right in your hands, and we'll try to have it catered in so people can still order what they want, uh, you know, like we're going out, and we'll cater the meal in, and we can be downstairs where we can have more than four people and have a great time of fellowship. Okay? I think that's all the announcements that I need to make, right? Okay. You know, uh, in this portion, I just have a short portion this morning, so I'm going to be sharing with you something that the Lord has put on my heart that I believe will encourage you. And it's all going to come together with the portion that I'll be covering as well. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to remind you of is this. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
Do you understand that? Our citizenship is in heaven. And our king wasn't voted into office, and he can't be impeached. Try it. <laughs> and so, as we consider that, I want you to think about a few things. And I believe, personally, that the political landscape that we've seen in moving far to the left to almost a socialistic kind of government, taking away from um, a lot of the biblical you know, standards that our nation were founded on, is a clarion call to believers to wake up. I think for you and I as believers, rather than going around, oh boy, gee whiz, something should... You know what? Let me tell you something about conspiracy theories. I'm tired of them. You know what I mean? You get involved in all these kinds of things. Nothing ever happens. But if we have our focus on where it should be, on Jesus Christ and being his disciples, we're never going to be discouraged. Because we need to wake up and recognize that things aren't necessarily going to get better. In fact, I don't believe they are. If you want to read a good book on the last days, it's called The Book of Revelation Made Plain and Clear, written by Frank Thomas. But I mean, I'm serious. You really want to read it because the whole point that I'm bringing out in, in the book is that we believers have to understand that politics and, and social agendas aren't going to make this world better. The Bible is very clear that this world is going to become worse and worse. And that's the reason God's judgment is going to be poured out. And, uh, well, a couple things I wanted to share we have to realize the cry that the bridegroom is coming has gone out. It really has. And therefore, we have to be willing not only to wake up ourselves, but to wake other people up. Because wealth, pleasure, personal happiness needs to give way to the ministry that God has called each one of us to. Because there is nothing in Scripture that promises us these things. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that, you know, in this world, we shall have what? Tribulation. The Bible doesn't say, in this world, because you're a believer, you're going to have peace and happiness and wealth, and no problems will ever come your way. In this world, you shall have tribulation. But what? Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. We have a promise that's out of this world. We have a promise in Jesus Christ. And he is coming for his church. And I believe that he's coming for his church because as scripture tells us, before his wrath is poured out, his church, his bride is going to be taken out of the world. And we'll read a scripture that proves that. And so we have to understand that this world is becoming ripe for God's wrath. I mean, good is taken for evil. Evil is taken for good. I mean, it's absolutely amazing to me. In fact, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. I told you we're going, we're going to be looking at some scripture this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, and go to verse 6. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verse 6. I, I know I've told you this about 25 times, but... When I was uh, taking courses in education, most of you know I used to be a school teacher, and when I was taking courses in education, the professor told us, you always give instructions three times to the students. 
Because the first time you give instructions, the students are saying, huh? <laughs> and the second time you give it, they're like, what? And then the third time they get it. So that's why I always say it three times if you're wondering. I'm sure you never did wonder, but now you know. Okay, Matthew 25, verse 6. And at midnight, a cry was heard. And let me share something with you. It doesn't literally mean at midnight. Midnight is talking about a couple things here. When things have become their darkest, which I think we're, we're coming to right now. And also, it's a time when most people are asleep. Okay? So, and at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold. And behold in the Greek there is a word that we can't even translate in the English. It is like, oh, behold. I mean, it's like, get excited. Something amazing is happening. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, listen, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the point is that we don't know when it is, but we're supposed to be aware of the season, which we'll get into in just a moment. But the point when we read this should be this. It could be today. It could be right now. It could before, be before the service is over with. So we have to be ready. We have to be watching. Because we have to understand is why should we as believers be surprised? We're supposed to be aware of the time of his coming. And because as believers, we should be watching prophecy, reading the word of God, looking at what Jesus himself told us would be, would be the signs of his coming. And the reason for that is, is that we might be able to cry out to this lost world, you know, the bridegroom is coming. Because when we read that analogy that, that Jesus gave in Matthew, which we just read, sometimes we ask ourselves, who is it that cries out? Us. Hopefully it should be us. In other words, those of us that are aware of the times, we know Jesus is coming back soon. We're, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. We're the ones crying out. Well, who are the virgins? Well, the ten virgins, I believe, the wise virgins, are those who are saved, but they're kind of like, you know, I'm not worried about prophecy. Jesus can come back in. You know, ever since, you know, the worlds began, they said Jesus is coming back, you know, and you read First Peter. But, you know, but the fact is, the Lord has given us signs for us to watch for. But there are those who are saved, but they're not watching. And when the cry goes out prophetically and in so many other ways saying, the bridegroom's coming, the bridegroom's coming, those who have been lackadaisical in their understanding of prophecy are going to wake up. And they're going to want to trim their lamps. And remember, oil has always been used as an analogy in Scripture of the Holy Spirit, of He, the third person of the triune nature of God, who is God Himself, the Holy Spirit. And I believe the foolish virgins are those 
who have a knowledge of Jesus Christ and who might even be churchgoers, but they're not saved. They have no oil to trim their lamps. And that's why they say to the others, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, we can't share our salvation. I won't have enough for myself and you. Go get your own salvation. Go, go come to the Lord yourself. But by the time they go and, and start seeking things out, the Lord's come, taking his church out of the world. And they come knocking, let us in to the wedding banquet. But it's too late. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't be saved because as I have shared with you on numerous occasions, I believe the greatest revival the world has ever seen will be during the tribulation because all the kook nuts like us that have been sharing our faith and saying Jesus is coming back and the people in the world are saying, you guys are crazy, I don't want to hear that stuff. Then the rapture comes, we're gone, and they're going to be thinking, those kook nuts were right. And they're going to start studying and searching out the scriptures. And they're going to come to faith. In fact, so many people come to faith during the tribulation that the Antichrist has to devise a method to mark them, to find out who they are, to put them to death. Why does he want to put them to death? Because their evangelism is so effective. And he doesn't want people to worship Almighty God. He wants people to worship him. Now... Go to Luke 17. You're in Matthew. It's easy to turn over to Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. And again, the third time. Luke 17 and go to verse 26. There's so much in here that I'm going to share that's so relevant to the, to the day we're living in. Luke 17 starting with verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. <clears throat> they ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went into Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be um, in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, it's interesting because we know that the Bible tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And many people don't realize until they start studying Scripture themselves that Noah preached for over 100 years. That's about how long... It, you know what I mean? Think of the size of the, of the boat that he built, the ship he built. It didn't... You know, it wasn't something he did in a weekend project. It took him over 100 years to build, and all during that time, he preached. But people didn't listen to him. They went on, and they, were, they married and given in marriage and all that kind of thing, and then the end came. But it's interesting. It's a similar thing in the account of Lot. And remember when the angels came and Jesus was with them and they met with Abraham and they were telling him they were going to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the vile wickedness that was in it. And remember what Abraham said to them, will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? Far be it from you, Lord, that you do that. And the Lord said, no, if there are ten righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it. And there weren't. Except for Lot... And actually, his wife, 
and two daughters, the sons-in-laws who were married to the two daughters, they didn't believe, they didn't leave the city with him. They all left, and the wife never even made it all the way out, did she? You know why? She turned back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. You think that literally happened? Yep, I sure do. And I could get into a whole archaeological thing here right now that I won't. But anyway, um, God, in both cases, took the believers out before his wrath came. Noah and his family were on the ark before the flood came. Lot and his family were taken out of the city before fire was rained down in heaven. So the Lord has always taken his people out before his wrath had come. And something interesting, too, I don't know if you noticed in these two uh, accounts we have of uh, Noah and of Lot. In the account of Noah, look at your Bible and, and check it out for yourself. Be a Berean. When it talks about the account of Noah, one of the things it mentions, they were married and given in marriage. In the account of Lot, it doesn't say that. And one of the reasons was is that homosexuality had just permeated the nation at that time. Remember, all the homosexuals came to where Lot was with the angels and said, bring them out. We want to have relations with them. And, uh, you know, Lot said, don't say such a thing. It's a perverse thing. And they said, who are you? you come and the angels pulled them back in and then blinded the men. And even though they were blind, they still sought a way in. A lot of interesting things if you really dig into Scripture. But it's all talking about the fact that there is a time when God's judgment must be poured out because a people and a nation have become so wicked. And that's the reason that the Lord's wrath is going to be poured out in the last days. And understand this, that the tribulation time, the seven-year tribulation, isn't three and a half years where everything seems to be going okay, and then the last three and a half years, it's awful. Right from the beginning, it's God's wrath. There's never a good time. And one of the things that's so amazing to me if you have never read Ezekiel 38, you actually want to read Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. Because it takes us from the formation of Israel to the uh, rapture of the church to the new kingdom. So you want to read all three chapters. But anyway, <clears throat> one of the things that's very interesting in Ezekiel 38, we talk about their prophecy all the time. You have to take the ancient names and put them in modern terms. Although some of the ancient names are the same as they are today. But what it's talking about is you're going to have Russia and you're going to have Iran and you're going to have Turkey and you're going to have Libya and some of these other countries that are going to attack Israel from the north. Well, the interesting thing is they're there right now as we speak. Those nations are there. Now, I believe personally one of the reasons that they haven't come in and attack Israel. Now understand, one of the main reasons they're coming in to attack Israel, as we read in Scripture, is for booty. In other words, for reward. Well, what would the reward be? Natural gas is one of them, one of the main ones. Because Israel had discovered a number of years ago, a few years ago, the largest reserve of natural gas ever anywhere in the world. And as a matter of fact, Israel is building a pipeline to Europe. And they beat Russia out in 
natural gas going to Europe. And Russia is angry about it. And Russia wants their natural gas. But <clears throat> those nations haven't come against Israel. I believe, this is just my opinion, because of the United States of America. Because we are so pro-Israel and, and so wanting to you know, watch over the only democracy in the Middle East. But now maybe the support of Israel won't be so great. You know, we've moved, I think, very far to the left, and I th believe that the support of Israel is going to wane. And so these nations are going to have the boldness to come against Israel. But here's the good news and the bad news. Their attack on Israel is an absolute failure. Not because the Israeli army came out and met them, because God's hand was against them. And he rains fire from heaven and destroys them and those who live safely in the coastlands in their capitals. So in other words, at that time, Russia, the uh, um, you know, Muslim bloc, gone, wiped out. And it's going to be opening the door for the peace treaty that's going to happen with Israel and the, and the building of the new temple and so forth. But we're living in that time, you understand. Because here's the thing. Just prior to this attack on Israel, or maybe during the attack on Israel, you and I are going to be taken out of this world in what's called the rapture. Taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up forcibly. In other words, if you're a believer, you're not going to be saying, well, just wait until after I get my... <laughs> you know, you're going to be gone. <clears throat> and you're going to be glad. Believe me. And so we're living in that time when we have to be aware and we have to be awake because the bridegroom is coming for his church. Now, in Matthew 24, and go to verse 40, and I'm going to read verses 40 through 42. <clears throat> Matthew 24, and go to verse 40. Matthew 24, verse 40. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Now, notice two things. Two men were in the field, two women were grinding at the mill. What does that mean? In other words, we as believers aren't, aren't, or we shouldn't be just going around sitting on a hill saying, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for you to come. We should be doing our, our daily business. Why? That we might be witnesses to those around us. And when we're about doing our daily business, we're in the field or at the mill, when the Lord comes, we're gone. Those that aren't saved are not gone. And they're going to experience the wrath of God. Now, in chapter 24, go back to verse 12. Matthew 24, go back to verse 12. <clears throat> Matthew 24, verse 12. And because of, okay, it's a condition. And because of, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Isn't that what we see? But he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. To think we have come to this place where, I mean, think about the place we've come to, even in our nation. It's considered a noble thing to have an abortion because you don't want to bring an unwanted child into life for whatever reason it might be. To think it's a noble thing and, and to be all open-hearted and loving, to be in favor of gay marriage, same-sex marriage, or to be in favor of those who have confused sexual identity. I, I might be a man, I might be a woman, maybe this one day, maybe that another day. And that's wonderful. That's considered wonderful. But if you say homosexuality and same-sex marriage and, and you know, gender confusion is a sin, it's not of God, it's a hate crime. It's a hate crime. You're awful. Doesn't that sound like the prophecy that says good will be taken for evil and evil for good? It does to me. And that's the time in which we're living. Now, move on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to be reading uh, a couple portions from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But first, I want you to go, want you to, go to verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go to verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go to verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 9. For God did not appoint us. Now notice the us, because there's an us and they that we're going to read a little bit later on. Us and we are believers. They and them are unbelievers in this portion of Scripture. God did not appoint us, believers, to wrath, his wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. What does that mean? The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are left and still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So whether you've already died or whether you're still living, when the rapture comes, you're going up to meet the Lord. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. So the rapture is going to be a surprise to the unbeliever. Because why? They think everything's going great. Think about it. The unbelievers in the world and in this country right now, everything's going great. Happy days have come where everything's going, everything's going our way. They think everything's going great. But to you and I, we see just the opposite. We see the collapse of the morality of this nation and of the world. And so we recognize that things aren't going that great. It's getting worse and worse. So in chapter 5, go back to verse 3 now. You're in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Go back to verse 3. And I want you to notice the difference between the they and the them and the we, okay? For when they 
Unbelievers say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And someone just asked me the other day, well, what about that verse that says when, when everyone is saying peace and safety, the Lord comes, that sounds like everything's going to get better. No, no, no. It's saying when they, the unbeliever, is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. <clears throat> what, what are the unbelievers saying today? Hallelujah. Well, they wouldn't say hallelujah. They'd be saying, awesome, awesome, you know, peace and safety. Everything's going our way. Look, at we have the person we want in office. We have the morality that we want to bring to the forefront. Everything's going our way. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now, <clears throat> verse 10. Or no, I didn't move my page. Uh, as on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse 4, but you, the believer, but you, brethren, the believer, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So it's the unbeliever that's saying peace and safety. Everything's going great. We're going to get married and given in marriage. We're going to do whatever we want to do. But you and I as believers, we're saying, wow, the time is short. The call's got to go out. The groom is coming for his bride. The Lord is coming. Wake up, trim your lamps. Now, this brings us to the portion we're covering. And it might seem to have no connection, but there is a connection here. And now turn to Deuteronomy 14, which is the portion I have. I, I have verses 22 through 29. And... Um, Moses, at this point, was giving, giving instructions to Israel after they entered into the promised land. And when they entered into the promised land, you have to remember, Israel covered a greater amount of space than they have t today. And the northern kingdom was way up here, and the southern kingdom, where you had Jerusalem, and, you know, you, uh, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, was down here. And that's why in this portion it's talking about the distance that they might have to travel. In the wilderness, they had the tabernacle, which was in the midst of the camp. But Moses was giving instructions for when they came in to the promised land. So we're in Deuteronomy 14, and go to verse 22. And you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. He's saying when you get into the land. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he cho chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of the grain and of the new wine and of your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks, that you may uh, learn to fear the Lord your God always. But and God is always so kind and, and he gives uh, us a way out when things become very difficult to do or sometimes even impossible. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe um, or if the place where your Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God has chosen. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, for sheep, for wine or similar drink, for uh, whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord 
your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. It's such a wonderful thing when we read in Scripture how the Lord calls us to have celebrations together. Because what it is, it's really worship of the Lord. When you and I as believers, we come together and we're worshiping Jesus. And, and even in fellowship, sometimes we're worshiping the Lord. So many times in Scripture we read where major holidays or major times the Lord has set apart for the Jews to, you know, to come together and worship Him. It's based around feasting. And just having a good time. So there's nothing wrong with having a good time as long as you keep the Lord in focus. As long as he's the reason that you're gathered together. Verse 27. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. When they came into the promised land, God gave every one of the tribes of Israel a portion of land that was theirs. But he did not give the Levites any portion of land because the Lord said, I am your inheritance. Because they were the priests, they were the servants, they were the ministers of the Lord. Verse 28, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of uh, that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. Now, in this portion, we find that the Mosaic law makes provisions for everyone. For everyone. For the Levite, whose full-time work is ministry, for the widow, for the fatherless, for the foreigner, he wants us to provide. He wants us to care for them. And they can come together and celebrate the Lord. Because God is so benevolent, he desires us to be benevolent also. Now, happiness, of course, we have to understand, is, is never based on excess, but on the presence of the Lord. Well, I've got so much, I'm so happy. I've got the Lord, I'm so happy. You know, there's an old song, and I've shared this with you maybe once or 45 times, I'm not sure, but it's an old song that I would suggest probably, I'm trying to see if there's anyone my age in here, probably none of you will remember at all. And part of the song was, uh, we ain't got a barrel of money, we might be ragged and funny, but we travel along singing a song side by side. You do remember that? Okay. That's so true. As believers, we might not have a barrel of money. We might be kind of ragged, and we sure are funny to people around us. But we travel along singing the songs of Jesus. And one day we're going to be with him. It's such a beautiful promise God has given us. Now, the Levites had the Lord as their inheritance. They didn't have any physical property. And so the people were commanded to give to them what they needed. And the reason is that the Levites were supposed to be supplied by the people so they could spend their time ministering unto the Lord. And that's kind of like we have in the ministry today. People who are called in the full-time ministry, it's always best if the fellowship is able to provide for their need that they can spend their full-time in ministry. Now we have to pay, we pray we get in things set it 
in such a way that Pastor Frank could go full-time into ministry and get out of his work, but he doesn't want to do that. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. <clears throat> He's got too good a job. But the thing is, there's nothing wrong with being what we call bivocational. You know who in the Bible we read about that worked as well as did ministry? Paul. He was a tent maker by trade. And so he worked in order to supply his, his need. And that way, if, if Pastor Frank works, it enables you to take care of more of my needs. <laughs> I'm being silly, sorry. <clears throat> um, this portion uh, also instructs on the importance of tithing. Now understand this. Tithing is never given for a desire for prosperity or a desire for reward. You know, our tithing is out of love for the Lord and out of obedience to his word. And if a person doesn't tithe, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It's given as a standard that God has for us that if we give a tithe of everything that he has given us, he has given us a promised blessing. Now, there are so many people, though, and you've probably heard the teachings out there. And, of course, they're not tithing. They're not talking about tithing to your local church, but to their ministry. If you send $100 to our ministry, the Word of God says that he'll give you abund abundance, you know, 10 and 100 fold. So you send us $100, and you can be guaranteed you're going to get 10000 in the mail from someone, from someplace, from somewhere. You've heard those kind of, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but those kinds of teachings have been out there for years. In other words, they're encouraging people. You know, we call it the prosperity doctrine. You know, if you give freely to the Lord, give, and what they're really saying to the church, <clears throat> then you're going to be blessed with all kinds of material blessings. Well, you know what? Our desire shouldn't be for material blessings, but for spiritual. Because material blessings have a way of just disappearing and fading. And when you have material blessing, you never have enough. Oh, I just wish, Lord, that I made this much. And then you start making that much. Lord, I, what I really meant was, and the fact is, as long as we have food and clothing, we should be satisfied. In fact, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> and this is actually what I'm ending with. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and go to verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and go to verse 5. 6.5, 1 Timothy 6.5. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, listen, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, and with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So you see, especially in the times in which we're living, when we need to be out there ministering the gospel to a lost and dying world that is becoming more and more corrupt, the desire for our own you know, personal uh, satisfaction and our own personal wealth has to be set aside. Our greatest desire should be to share the gospel. 
I don't care if I have a barrel of money. I don't care if I'm ragged and funny as long as I'm able to share the gospel to the lost around, around me. And that should be the desire, desire of every one of us because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. You're not going to go in the rapture because you're a nice person. You're not going to go in the rapture because your parents are Christians. You're going to go, you're going to go in the rapture because you're born again, because you have made a personal choice to give your life and heart to Jesus Christ. And when that trumpet sounds and that cry goes out and we're lifted up, it's going to be a glorious, glorious day. And we're going to be with the Lord in our glorified bodies. Read 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about it. There's a physical body. The physical came first. And there's also a spiritual body. And we're going to have spiritual bodies that will be perfect in every way. You're going to have complete self-identity. You're going to know who you are. You're going to know why you're with the Lord. Otherwise, your worship couldn't be from your heart. And so you will have your soul, your self-identity, and you will have your spirit alive in absolute communion with the Lord. And what a beautiful time it's going to be to be with him. And when the Lord's wedding day comes, we're going to be his bride. I know some guys have a hard time with that. You know, What do you mean? But we're going to be his bride. Who's more excited on the wedding day than a bride? getting herself all prepared and ready to walk down the aisle with the man that she loves. And what could be more exciting than you and I getting ourselves prepared to be forever with the one we love? Oh, what a glorious day it'll be. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the encouragement that it gives us that we don't have to be distraught about the things of this world. This world is just falling apart. But you and I, Lord, are one, it says in your word. And every one who's committed themselves to you are also one in you. And one day we, as your bride, will be called up out of this world. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would set aside all the distractions of life, set aside all the things that just occupy our minds and keep our focus solely and completely on you. And now, Father, we just commit all things into your hands, including our hearts, our soul, and spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Want a tip? Don't watch TV. <laughs>